0: like to contact the show send us an email at live on four legs podcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media join the pearl jam podcast community group on facebook or follow us on twitter at live on four legs pod
1: 15,748 people crammed into the arena last night. That's the biggest crowd the venue has ever hosted. Security officials say there were no major problems. Pearl Jam was on stage for two hours and 45 minutes. Fans got two encores from the band, but they didn't get an appearance from Neil Young. It had been widely rumored that the rock legend might appear at the show, Uh, but alas, he was nowhere to be found. But the band did mention him, and they did sing a couple of his tunes. A great night had by... all.
0: And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring. Mr.
1: Stone gotcha.
2: Fucking camera in the jump.
0: <laughs> Mr. Boom Gasper! <laughs> you can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just just fucking call me why don't you? everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. Today, we are going up to Canada. Sorry, but we're sticking there. I don't know why I'd be sorry for that, I like Canada. And you guys should like Canada too, because the 2005 tour was just tremendous. We talked about that a lot, because... We've done a couple shows from this, not enough, not close to enough, but hey, we got years and years and years to figure that out later down the line where we could do St. John's and Thunder Bay and all that. But all of these shows are so close knit to one another. It is fascinating that they spent three or four weeks doing the whole entire country from seriously British Columbia all the way to Newfoundland. That's insane that they pulled that off and obviously you can say what you want about now they would never do that now well that's a different band from back then and it's amazing that we were able to get that but it's just all in all fascinating and i think this winnipeg show is going to be cool look it's very rare to talk about on this podcast. I believe it's probably the first time that we've talked about a show that happened on my birthday. So that'll be interesting to kind of laugh about and talk about a little bit. And it's a request from our good friend and patron, Pete cassette. And yes, I got clarification from him, the tape man himself, that it is indeed pronounced cassette. We'll have a little fun with that. We'll tell his story. Let's have fun in all of the Winnipeg ways that you can have fun. So. Get out your snow shovels. Randy Zubel over here. John Farrar over there.
2: Hello, hello. Hey, man. Yeah, 2005 is a unique year in Pearl Jam history. That I don't know if we just kind of gloss over it, but to go all across Canada and then go to South America for the first time is a very unique tour routing that they pulled off.
0: You know, I wondered this, and I actually wrote a little something down, but I think that the South American stuff was definitely influenced by the Ramones Mm -hmm. and maybe the Canadian stuff is too. And maybe it's the fact that the Ramones had toured so much in their entire career over 2000 shows that after Johnny died, and it's kind of going back to the premise of what life wasted was written about. Like don't take time to dwell on the moment, go out there and kind of pick yourself up and, and go, explore the world get out there and and do it
2: like live live in the moment yeah yeah
0: absolutely and i wonder after that like ed felt a little you know invigorated go and do this this is something we can do at this point you know 2003 was a huge tour one of their biggest and to go out there and obviously the next year would be probably a bigger one than 2003 But I I wonder if it's just, when are we going to have another opportunity to do something like this? Let's hit up every spot, because Winnipeg didn't have a show at all. This is the first ever Winnipeg show that's ever happened here, and there have only been two. A lot of those places, small places, I mentioned Thunder Bay before, Kitchener, St. John's again. Like They have never had shows after this year, so it's insane to think that they put all that effort in at the time to go and say, we're going to do right by this country that we've only dabbled in.
2: Yeah. It feels like they had like a band meeting at the beginning of the year. And it was like, what do you guys want to do? And they were just, like I said, thinking about Johnny Ramone, thinking about everyone else that they had lost all the people, you know, on the avocado, like Whistle, I think is referenced in there. And it's just like, let's do it. Let's go across Canada. Let's go to South America. It's been 15 years. Let's do it. And they pulled it off. This is a great tour. Like, these are great shows. South America obviously became this monolith of, like, Pearl Jam iconography. But, yeah, I love doing these 2005 shows. There's always so much to talk about.
0: Real quick, you know, I I mentioned the birthday aspect thing, and this Mm -hmm. is the first... September 8th show, which gets me excited. And I've been listening to the show every other year, so I'll I'll give it a listen. But this year I listened to it on my drive back from the airport after coming back from Chicago and kind of took it more as like, all right, we're going to research this for a couple weeks later and start to really listen to it. And it's cool that you have a show like this instead of it being – I don't know, like a a more popular show, you can kind of say, oh, like Winnipeg, not a lot of people talk about that that weren't on that tour, you know what I mean? So you get these little gems and it feels like, okay, SAD's in the show, like all songs that I really love, Hail, Hail, Corduroy, Grievance, Save You, like all four are together in this. SAD, I love Untitled MFC, I love Immortality, In Hiding in My Tree. These are moments that feel... Like, they were birthday gifts for me, almost. Kind of, like, very similar to Toronto 2 last year, which was also on the same date. And I felt through the whole entire time, like, whoa, this is kind of a gift that I'm guessing I'm getting a little spoiled here. I've had technically four, but sort of five, shows that have landed on this date. One of them was unfortunately considered the debut for Olay. Unfortunately. But, but, I got the debut of Sonic Reducer as well. So, it evens out. You know what I mean? Mm, Okay. Well, I
2: have one very notable one. For having a September birthday, and mine's like not quite a week after yours. For having a September birthday, I think they've only played maybe three or four shows on my birthday. Not since 2011. They skipped me this year, and they skipped me last year. But I have the Showbox 96 where all the no-code stuff was debuted. So that seems fitting being that it's my favorite album.
0: Well, um, hold on a second. I think you had Camden last year. Camden was the that? 14th. Was it on the 14th? Yeah. Because I remember you oh, couldn't right. make yeah, the instant reaction
2: doing, episode. Doing right. Okay stuff. Right, right. That's yeah. right. I was thinking I was thinking they skipped it because I was at Nashville, Louisville, and St. Louis and those were after. But
0: uh Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'll take Camden. That was that was a pretty Pearl. good show, right? You were there. Great show. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that one. But yeah, I think there was one of the Italian shows in 2006, and then Ottawa in 2011, the other notable ones, which I haven't listened to those shows. I haven't gone back and done the whole Birthday Pearl Jam thing, but Showbox 96, that's the one I'm claiming.
0: That's pretty good, yeah. I got... A couple days before in 98, a couple days before the popular MSG show, the one in East Rutherford, that's not something I've listened to. And that's kind of the beginning of the whole breath campaign actually happening. Right. So right. might be a cool one to dig up at some point. So you can't really talk about the 2005 tour without talking about this all encompassing trip book written by Jason Ling. And last time I read it was probably about two years ago, but like things stick with you from that and just kind of get in the memory of it. And first of all, it's just amazing now looking back at it that they did all of this stretch all in one and they made every show their van might've sputtered and barely got them there, but they made it to every single one and less than the Pearl jam shows And I always used to think that it's traveling. It's about being at the Pearl Jam show and whatnot. But like, you know, after this year and all the connections made like from last year and really felt like your friendships are just getting stronger with people and all that. And the way that they just kind of invited all different people onto their van and found people on the boards, it's just like community wise, it's just such a cool element that it's a very grateful dead thing to sort of do. And it gets kind of lost now. I think, I don't think enough people would be inspired to do that kind of run in a van. And obviously we all skew older now and the economy is not as good as I, I mean, I don't think the economy was that good in 2005, but the economy is much worse now. And it just feels like this moment in time that'll never get replicated within our community. And I think it's something that should be cherished. As
2: you get older, you get more responsibilities and you get less and less able to go follow your favorite band for two weeks. But I don't know if you would call it a meme or a saying, but like this thing goes around now, you see like, oh, the real whatever was the friends we made along the way. Like the real Pearl yeah, yeah. was the friends we made along the way. And like, in this case... That's true. When we talked to Jason a couple of years ago, that's what he said. Like, he still keeps up with those guys. and still keeps in touch with some of the people that he met on this tour. He called it like a turning point in his life. It changed him. Being able to, like, wanting to live in Europe and do all these other things that he's done in his life that he probably never would have done without going out on this tour and meeting people and traveling and seeing the whole country of Canada from west to east. But to be young, you know, if I was 22 years old, and had the resources that i have now i would be all over it it must have been really cool and like highly again highly recommend the book it's not so much about the details of the pearl jam shows that's almost like an afterthought it's more about jason telling the stories and the unique characters that he meets along the way It's, it's very very well done and a very good read
0: yeah how they get there and obviously every story with a van has a van breaking down and i believe it was like in between the Saskatoon and Winnipeg shows as to when their van broke down, they had the the huge issue that they talk about where they were nowhere near a gas station or something like that. Right. It's It's really fascinating. And another thing to tack on to what you said at the end of the book, we find out that Jason ends up meeting his future wife. Yep. So, again, yep. like that's. come full circle thing and it's just really interesting to see his life develop like you said all within his stories so why don't we tell a story of another fellow that was at this show named of course Pete Cassette you know cassettes as a medium they're just fun to think about but maybe not fun to listen to as much I have 10 on cassette, and it's nothing more than a novelty. I have no interest in getting a a cassette deck or anything like that, but I think that is one of the coolest last names in the community. Let's tell the story. I think I'm going to press play right here, so press the play button. This was my fourth show and my wife's third show since Fargo 2003, so we were excited to see Pearl Jam again after two-plus years. Living in Fargo, Winnipeg is a short three-hour drive away, so we drove up to Winnipeg on the day of the show, which was a Thursday night. The concert was at the MTS Center in downtown Winnipeg. Apparently, this was the biggest crowd so far in the arena's history. It had opened about a year earlier. Which, there is, and I'll play it probably at the end of the episode if I don't play it before, but there is a news clip from the whole thing talking about, you know, oh, well, Neil Young was rumored and didn't play. And they talk about the filling up the stadium. It was the first time they filled the arena and sold out the way they did. And it's interesting and, you know, local news kind of stuff. So that's kind of cool that we kind of stumbled across it. Our hotel was right by the venue. So as soon as we got to town, we walked over to the venue to pick up our 10 club tickets. And we're very happy to land sixth row on the floor. And that was with no GA pit in front of them onto the show. Ed got the crowd going early by coming out in his luchador mask to join the super suckers for a song called poor girl. And he says, great song. If you'd ever heard it, I guess I haven't X-X heard it. Cover. So. It's an next cover. Oh, that's poor right. Girl. They just yep. fucking tagged they it. Did. Yep. They just fucking tagged.
1: Yep.
0: <sighs> All right. I'm, I'm back on track. You guys, I'll let Randy and John handle the details of the rest of the set. Well, thank you. How polite of you. But highlights for me were sad in hiding in my tree and blood. Having Better Man and Corduroy in the first three songs of the show is a rarity and got the concert off to a great start. The first eight songs kicked my ass. My legs were tired from all the jumping for the rest of the night. Ed was in a great mood. Drinking a lot of wine, talking into a fan's cell phone during the daughter tag, and bringing another fan on stage during Smile. Jumping ahead to the end of the show, when Ed started talking about Uncle Neil before Small Town, of course the whole crowd thought that Neil was coming out, but alas, it was not meant to be. I've been to 13 shows, including three Wrigley shows, two OTOTOs, meaning shows in states that have never had a show in them again, Fargo and Rapid City, South and North Dakota, Vegas and the recent St. Paul shows, but this is my favorite show I've been to. Best seats, best crowd, best set list. Just a perfect set list for me. Lots of yield, lots of no code, and no last kiss. With all the lyrical flubs, maybe not the greatest performances per se, but great energy. I think this is one of those shows where, as John said about Clarkston Night 2 2003, that's a deep cut from about two, three years ago, right there. Pearl Jam decided to play all their best songs. Can't disagree or argue with that. After going back and reading the fan views on the forum, I can see that I wasn't the only one that thought the crowd was the best they've ever seen. And why was the crowd so good? Maybe because it was Pearl Jam's first time in Winnipeg. Anticipation of a Neil sighting, I'm not sure. But as Ed says at the end of the show, it was absolutely fucking amazing. One thing I will say... And it held like just short of 16,000. And it's interesting because that arena was not technically built for hockey. And this kind of has a tie to Atlanta, too, by the way, which I'm sure you're just groaning at. But, <laughs> but like five or six years later, the Thrashers would move to Winnipeg and the Jets franchise would be reformed. And that would become the lowest capacity arena in the league. And a lot of people said that when they get to the playoffs and stuff, like, that, it gets really loud in there because it's kind of a smaller, more compact area, like some of the old barns that you get, Nassau so Coliseum and the XL Center in Hartford and some other places. I know. I know the XL Center is not the 90s name for that, but it's just what's on my head at the moment. But it contains the sound really, really well. To where everything feels so close. And I'm sure they played other places on this tour. They had to have. I believe like St. John's was somewhere around 10,000. Yeah, didn't really, we do like, really like Thunder
2: Bay? That's like a really small town.
0: Yeah, 10, 11,000. That's yeah. really small there. Yeah. A, a lot of these places probably felt like that. And maybe that was kind of one of the things that they thought. It'll be good to get back to crowds that feel like they're more intimate like this. And that's just such a cool thing. And Ed noticed it from very early on, and he absolutely loved all the participation he got from this night and this crowd. This is like a prairie town. Like,
2: Winnipeg is right in the middle of Canada. It's like above the North Dakota-Minnesota border. There's nothing around this for, like, almost a thousand miles. It's kind of crazy that a crowd would show up for Pearl Jam there in 2005. It's quite an achievement. Like, this kind of blows my mind. All these little small places they were playing, to get a reaction like this from this crowd is unbelievable.
0: And you know, the year prior, when it opened, Green Day was on the American Idiot Tour there. You would think that that would be a huge tour for them and fill the place, I'm sure. They filled it, but it was nowhere close to what Pearl Jam had done, which is kind of amazing on this. So I want to say, because Ed said he came out there earlier, and he'll talk about this later, but I want to tie this in to see if I'm kind of onto something. But he said something along the lines of, like, we were out there for super suckers, and we just said, whoa, this crowd is something really special, and we're going to have to really bring it tonight. And I wonder if that sort of got into his head, and he's like, you know what? Let's start them up with something that they're not expecting. So, of course, they start with Better Man. Not unfamiliar in the opening spot. It's been, like, 11 times or so. But I guess that is considered unfamiliar. But there are moments, like we had last year with Hyde Park. That was really awesome, great performance and great moment and there have been others. We did The Cleveland Show from 2006 a little while ago, probably two years ago. What I love about this is it invites you into the show right away. and It's telling the crowd, kind of like when they do something like Elderly Woman, that you're in it from the start. We're all in this together, so when all the big moments where they get to sing with them sound terrific. And... I love Boom on this version. Just a lot of high energy. He sounds terrific. But that Save It For Later tag too, I think this is the ideal for me on Save It For Later that they go through and Ed just does the don't let me down but there's no like build up to that. It just surges right after that and goes into outer space. This was an awesome performance. I really love this.
2: Yeah, Better Man as an opener also kind of serves as a barometer for Ed to kind of gauge what the crowd's going to be capable of at the show. Like, here you go, I'm going to give you this, and we'll see how you handle it. And that'll kind of determine how the night goes. And the crowd does really well on it. They definitely pass the test if it is a test. I totally echo what he said about Boom, that this is a great Boom show as well. It's going to be a couple more moments where I really noticed that he stood out on a couple things where I don't usually notice that one at the very, very end but to me it's ed holding that man line forever That tells you that, like, okay, he's getting that energy back from the crowd that he meets from early on, and this is going to be a great show. I think, like Pete mentioned, like the first seven, eight songs just smoke, and like that all comes from the energy on Better Man here.
0: Totally agree. four of these together I kind of mentioned these are songs I consider to be my songs big energetic fast driving songs hell hell corduroy grievance save you what's interesting you don't have to like build upon the opener the opener started the momentum here and you're just continuing to build the momentum and not like with release where it's like, okay, release kind of got us warmed up. And now we get to start the wheels in motion. Totally different. Better man is technically a part of this section because of that. Hell, hell has lyric change here. Am I woman enough to be your man? Interesting change. But also, I don't know if you notice the bass at the end of hell, hell.
2: Oh, well, yeah.
0: Little under pressure ice ice baby pick your poison Un- it's on that
2: a, it's a sped up under pressure
0: well he just doesn't have that extra ding for ice ice baby right right and thank you jeff for not doing that so we don't have to call <laughs> it that but
2: <laughs> no i absolutely noticed like that's the highlight of the song for me is when jeff comes in at the end oh it's such a good bass line and yeah it definitely is just under pressure in a faster tempo
0: what else did you like from this? You got a really anthemic kind of corduroy that picks oh. up and gets a lot of steam grievance save you. There was a little, you know, just flubs and stuff like that, especially during mm-hmm. grievance. He's just yeah. kind of, he forgets the word. So he, yeah. So he goes, ah, and it kind of turns into a, a no consonant thing for a second or two, but it's a little Rocky, but still has the attitude and still has that vigor. And, and Ed, especially ending this section with a lot of intensity on save you. It comes off pretty well.
2: Well, Jeff gets a shout for save you too, which I think goes back to hail hail too. I don't ever remember hearing him do under pressure before. I think the band is kind of like, okay, this is going to be one of those shows. So Ed definitely noticed, I think, and, and gives Jeff a little shout out for save you, which is very cool. But this corduroy too, I don't mean to overlook that. Just a super fast version Cameron and McCready just like leading the way, just locked in together Again, smoke the whole trip. time through. Yeah. Yeah. Corduroy is fantastic.
0: What's interesting to me from both the Ed standpoint and the Mike standpoint, I thought that they were mixed in really light on the first couple songs up until like maybe given a fly. So I guess this batch right here, and then once it gets into Given a Fly, that it feels like their vocals and the lead guitar is more in the forefront. So a little thing that I notice, and especially since I listen to it every other year or so, it sticks out sometimes. But the next portion of this show is sad, Given a Fly, and then sad again. Here's what's interesting. I went and I looked on Two Feet Thick, and... It seemed that this was Stone's fault, and I thought that it was Ed actually jumping the gun, and I didn't realize that Ed wasn't the one to open the song. And I'm thinking, like, oh, that would be a tech issue if they gave him the guitar and it wasn't for Sad. But it seemed to be Stone's issue, and I guess that Stone leads off the song, which makes some sense. And then they kind of look at him, and they're like, uh... Yeah, not this one. And again, probably they couldn't change on the fly because that didn't have a guitar. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Stone just completely skipped given a fly on the set list and just went straight into sad. Yeah. And I think they kind of laugh about it. I think the the story is Ed goes over and kind of gives him a hug and like, it's all right, man, we, it happens to the best of us and they come back with given a fly. Oh, we got it now. We we, we got to figure it out.
0: Given a fly here. I thought that it sounded a lot stronger from Ed's standpoint and Mike's standpoint, but Matt had a really interesting little thing in the middle. It was sort of kind of connecting, the first chorus, after the first chorus, he does something, and it's just like, okay, did he mean to do that? Was he trying to do something? Why? Oh. I wouldn't say it's a filthy, but it is a hmm, filth. You weren't quite sure what he was going with there, but it did kind of sound interesting within. The context of the song but like that's a complete power rush again they're feeding off all that momentum even with that little blip within what they thought was supposed to go there and then sad comes out and again this is a great match show and he's charging on this and just has a great drive this one you can say is a filthy fill between the bridge and the breakdown sounded just whew, just fantastic <laughs> going to address this wonderful winnipeg crowd here here we are we made it to winnipeg how are you this is without a doubt the loudest crowd and then we get the crowd just cheering for a minute or two which is always a fantastic sight before we came out in the pre-show it was insane i heard i didn't know what the fuck was going on just so incredibly loud all i can think that is i hope that they're pacing themselves before we continue, I want to thank our crew as we're trying to travel this big expanse of land that you have here in Canada. They're working their asses off. We'd love to take credit for being around as long as we have, but we couldn't do it without these folks, and we sure couldn't do it without you. And then a very rare, even though I think it was just a miscommunication, guitar intro for Not For You. so this got some interesting moments here we have this is on the fly and ed's thinking about this so it's cool the small my table fuck it seats all of you and where the fuck did they come from saskatoon which was where they were the previous night and just having fun with this this is a song that can have fun on it sounded terrific i thought there's a great placement for it you know, you're just about to get to the middle of the set here, and you're getting another one that feels like fan service, sort of not big, big hit kind of deal, but one that, going back to 1995, was always a fan favorite.
2: Yeah, Not For You, I think, is helped here by the moment with Stone earlier, where he screws up and it kind of lightened the mood a little bit. It feels a little bit looser, like it kind of broke the tension on stage a little bit, and so it benefits from having that kind of swing and looseness to it in the groove that we always talk about. But yeah, this is a fantastic version.
0: You mentioned Stone before though, and I noticed that there was heavy, heavy wah pedal going on. And because I know nothing about that, I called the only person that I do know that knows anything about that. Maybe I know other people, but he's the one that I trust the most. And that would be your and mine and our gear guru, Javier Hervas. Javier, admire my Stone, please.
1: Hey Randy, hey John, hey everyone in the podcast. So, Winnipeg 2005 for this week, but before we start, I need to give a shout to someone. Travis Howell. I've been thinking about our conversation about equipment and all that stuff, and I forgot (laughs) to give you a shout a couple weeks ago, but I mean, that's what it's all about. Travis is part of our community. We have been talking about gear. We both got super excited when in the new tour, we noticed that there were a few more things that they were kind of like unknown to us for example like what Stone is running right now Amplify Nation amps and all that stuff so shout out to Travis awesome conversation dude and hey if you want to talk about gear guitars and all that stuff just reach out that's what we're here for right but anyways let's start with not for you so dark sounding tour as you're going to notice it's very Fender based sound but Stone's always figured out a way that even though that his tone is so unique, you have that Jimmy Page kind of like lick management, you have that Neil Young like cut through sharpness that the guitar is gonna go so well in between the mix and it's not gonna get lost with all the rest of the instruments. And he found the sweet spot where he can combine both perfectly fine and also when you have like more like a treble driven sound or tone, certain sounds are a little harder to manage. For example, like the use of the wah pedal with like high treble pitch. Sometimes it can get a little wonky and can get like too much for the mix, but Stone is an absolute master on this. Whenever you don't think that he's using a wah, he's kind of like is. So for example, not for you, whenever he engages that wah, it boosts the signal a little bit more but he managed the tone control so well and the position of that wah pedal right in the middle not in the heel like do the evolution or not all the way down as other songs and it just keeps the tone but it adds a little bit more attack to it that is going to change the flavor of the interpretation of the song amazing detail I don't know if you ever heard this, but the more I review shows for the podcast, it allows me to go through the grain and the details and just to analyze this for you guys. So, yeah, we're going to kick it off with this. And Travis, again, shout out for you. Awesome conversation, buddy. Let me know what you think about those Amplify Nations app.
0: All right. Thank you so much, sir. As always. The air. Just, Love it. Yep. Just a treasure. And guess what? He will be back to talk more stone a little bit later in the set, mm. so can't wait. Excited for that.
2: And then they they go into get into Modern Girl, but no words, just instrumental Modern Girl.
0: like that because it would be a few nights later where they would do it for the first time tacked on to Better Man and it wouldn't be until I believe it was Ottawa that was the first modern girl off Not For You so just very cool little piece of history there
2: yeah he probably wasn't sure how he was gonna because the vocal is definitely a little he's probably still figuring out like how am I gonna make this work how am I gonna do this
0: Daughter Maybe the first one where the crowd really takes over. This is like a change from like, this is a pretty rocking show to, whoa, this one is lifting and can go to really some special places. The crowd, fantastic on all the rise above it and all that. But there's a moment here that I think really connects Ed and the crowd together and does something that isn't done at most shows, and somebody is throwing a flip phone from the crowd to Ed, and the person probably had it up, you know, trying to get whoever's on the other line to hear what's going on, and maybe the daughter was their favorite song or something like that. Ed starts going into this tag where he starts going, hello, and the whole entire crowd just doing the call and response, and he kind of does some improving like, I miss you because you're not home, I miss you, but I'm not alone, we're all here, you're nowhere, and then he finds out, I guess, the person on the other line is in Los Angeles, so he starts kind of doing this, like, we're in Winnipeg, you're in Los Angeles, and then hangs up the phone on him, so just... Goodbye. John, I'm just surprised, and look, he could have been talking to nothing, for all we know, but... In an arena in Winnipeg with 16,000 on a flip phone in 2005, you're telling me they had full service? No chance.
2: I wish, you know, like that Pittsburgh 98 show that we did, I wish that we had the other end of this phone call on a voicemail somewhere. Someone had the foresight to record this because I would love to hear the other end of this conversation. Hello? daughter is all about the shenanigans like you think like cell phones is so ubiquitous now like, that would be so annoying now if someone, like, threw their cell phone up on stage. You'd be like, oh, come on. You all have cell phones. Every, everyone's recording. Yeah, like, everyone's recording. They would never do that now. But 2005, it's like, oh, this fancy new thing that you have. Like, yeah, let me go ahead and have a little moment with this. But just a super cool moment. And then the little fuck you to Los Angeles a little bit where he thought he was talking to maybe a local or thought he was talking to some- Oh, you're in Los Angeles? <laughs> Bye.
0: Yeah, it's just a really, really cool version. Yeah. And- can't really gloss over another brick in the wall because when you have this and you're doing the We Don't Need No Education, everybody's singing back and forth. It's always a big moment and when you have a crowd that's already on the top of their game that night, it's going to stand out. Yeah, this is a highlight for sure from this night, just very, very impactful. Oh, yeah. So wish list comes after Daughter, I kind of failed to mention that, but it belongs in this little package right here. He does the tag at the end, and this is pretty common for the time, the next four years or so. says he wishes he was the president and he wouldn't take so many vacations. There's a job, got to get someone to do it, and any chance at this point to poke fun at W, he takes it. And no, this will not yeah. be the last time.
2: Well, that was the thing, too, around the time is that Bush was taking all these vacations, and it became like this oh, thing. Yeah. Like, that definitely was timely.
0: Fahrenheit 9-11, Vacation All I Ever Wanted. That's one of the best montages in any political documentary that you'll see. Very, very cool stuff. Even flow, a seven and a half minute version, so there's a lot to break down. It is very heavily driven by Cameron. I think that Cameron's parts maybe speak to the song more than Mike's parts, which is just absurd. It feels like Mike is using a univibe or an octave pedal on this to make it sound like he's a little bit warbly, a little underwater, mostly a bluesy version. And maybe that's why Cameron does stand out a little bit, because Mike is playing towards more of a, I wouldn't say downtrodden, but he's not like stretching. He's not going far up that fretboard. He's not doing anything totally crazy. He's just kind of staying within a lane and going for it, and it sounds great but there is a point where they start to go melodic, Mike and Stone, and then Matt's like, no, I'm not doing that shit, and he just keeps that drive going, and it's just awesome.
2: Yeah, this definitely felt more Stevie Ray Vaughan than Eddie Van Halen in the mike Over of influences. But yeah, I agree, I love what Stone was doing under the solo here. That was very, very cool.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of like little texture strumming within that. But I think my favorite part of this Is when the guitars just kind of drown out for a second, and all you're able to hear is Matt build up back into the anticipation for the chorus. Just fucking phenomenal. Again, this is feeling pretty good here. We were told that there's never been more people in this building at this point. Records are made to be broken, but it's good to be in there first like this. We're happy to be the ones to break it in. It's a great place. We've got this big venue right here, and then in the back, there's a small theater. Really great vantage point to watch one of the greatest drummers ever in Matt Cameron. That's the only thing that we disagree on, but I know that I'm right. All right, Untitled, MFC, Half Full. I like this Untitled because of a lot of different reasons. Well, first of all, as a callback while they're strumming the intro, back to Cameron, he's like, I'm not going to compromise or anything. So he's doubling down on his thoughts about Cameron. And I like how Ed is spacing out the wording a little bit, which kind of gives us this kind of drawn out a little bit more, where he's doing a gotta, car, and then just sort of waiting for when the next verse would happen instead of singing right after that. I thought that was a cool aspect, but the line, spent my whole paycheck on oil, this world is a fucking mess, I think speaks to the time as well. Definitely,
2: and I think it makes it a little more personal. It gives a little more down-to-earth feel to it. It makes it a little more like real for people because Untitled can sometimes be a little airy. It can be a little out there. I think this one feels really grounded and really real. I think that really helps that it's great.
0: Yeah, a little sense of maybe even more sarcasm than the sweet, kind of tender versions of this. And give me both. I'm fine with either, but I I do love Untitled regardless. Yeah, exactly. I hope you get this message.
1: To take no offense just get the kid and let's go along.
0: I wanna go, but I don't want to go alone. So even going into MFC, MFC is still just absolutely unreal. Give me that filthy fill bite right there. A destructive match show and it's beautiful. Ed has some bumps and just kind of forgets the first knowing. He knows that he's fucking it up, so when it gets to that fuck it part, he just screams it out like, oh fuck it. Like, whatever just happened, like just leave it behind. And that is NFC for you. We're going to get half full after that. And, of course, nine times out of ten when you're playing half full in this era, there's going to be a don't see George Bush as half empty, see him as whole full of shit, and there's a big fuck him line in that too. And, honestly, I don't know if it goes back to what I was saying before about the mix, but I didn't think that Mike was super powerful in this. I just didn't, Mm. I wasn't blown away by whatever he was doing here. Wow. Uh,
2: Yeah, I thought this was almost better than Evenflow, I thought, for him. Interesting.
0: I mean, we're going to get into immortality in a second. I think we it, can probably it, find it, ground right on it's that. All, it's but, all going to
2: be mood in about two minutes.
0: Yeah, right. But and also, in half full is just pleading for somebody to save the world, which is the theme of the song, of course. Immortality is going to be packaged together with Lucan and Jeremy right here, but immortality is probably the big highlight in the story. Like we just mentioned, it's Mike, and it does feel like the tempo and the vibe is a little bit more on the very bluesy downtrodden side on this and this song can have like two different beasts and maybe a couple different beasts if, if you think of it like that but you kind of want to see where it's going when it's on the more downtrodden side because it's like okay when is this going to surge when is this going to pick up and it starts off it's sad blues man mike doing this rendition of the solo and he just lets that note just hang there sits there for seconds and you're like where is this going how long is he going to hold this for and then it dips a little bit and then he goes back to it another time and it's captivating in this moment and again like that's another air of mystery like okay really now where the fuck is he going with this it wasn't anything like ear piercing or anything like that but just sort of again, like kind of mesmerizing, just very consistent hammer-ons and just, just going at it. It's not one of these playing to the high heavens, but it's just rapid pace on this while the band is finding that surge and just about to take off and really have a perfect ending to this song.
2: Yeah, this is a, I guess we're calling version of the Immortality classic in 2005, really reminiscent of those 95, 96 versions. I love the visual, and again, you mentioned it in the beginning, oh, to have a video of this show. So many cool moments that I would love to see. Evidently from the notes from TV Thick Again, it says they had a big spotlight on Matt, and the band all gathered around the drum riser just playing off of him. Like, I love those moments. That harkens back to Immortality when they would do that with Jack in 95, and, you know, an incredible moment to see, and you love that. Like, they're all there just lost in the music, completely jamming out in the moment. And Immortality is the perfect song for that. This is stellar.
0: The jam is fantastic. And I think Stone's got that electric acoustic hybrid in there because it starts off more acoustic and then he uses that pedal. Right. And Matt, again, it's just him bashing away. It just delves into a little bit more of a rigged sound. And Matt is just untamed. The rest of the show, I think this is probably... 2003 through 2006, it's prime Cameron. So, Lucan, guess what, guys? It's Lucan. It lasted for about a minute. 57 seconds, I think, 58 seconds, yeah. Yep, and that's what that was. But now Ed's asking for some help on Jeremy, though, and you will get the help on Jeremy. So that crowd, once again, just small, kind of cozy Arena that they're in here where everybody's like right on top of each other. We got it on Daughter, we got it on Better Man, got it on Even Flow, where you're we able to hear that crowd. And it's like Exhibit C or D or E here that ended Jeremy. The whoa, was like some of the best and loudest I've ever heard. And once the song ends, the crowd is just like, yep we love this.
2: Yeah, huge energy on Jeremy and hadn't had a sing along in a while, so needed that here.
0: Black. I mean, you get Jeremy into Black, and cool. that is paying your crowd just saying please and thank you the two big Time 10 songs.
2: Not a night where 10 was featured early on. I think Evenflo was the first one. So Yeah, I mean, yeah we get a lot later. Yeah, and you're finally paying that off here. The first time they played a place, you normally see a lot of 10 early on in the set, but they didn't do that here.
0: I mean, Black gretch era of stone where recently we have found out that's not a gretch but that is that same guitar we were talking about before that has that acoustic electric hybrid pedal and all that so again perfect placement the crowd was there on all of those big moments but i think that ed steals the show with this
2: single time like i can't get enough of these black improvs lately absolutely
0: fantastic Mm -hmm. mike sounded terrific in this solo too again something that javier told me was the univide pedal and that's where he's getting all that sound from and just picking up really really well and this arena is red hot and you're about to end this main set with a song that we've been pretty red hot on lately we can talk about in that full detail very very shortly but do the evolution it's evolution baby is closing out your main set and we did talk in the episode about when certain aspects of the song kind of pop in like playful fun and loose and one of those things was where he starts saying admire me admire my stone and i guess It wasn't the first time that that happened on this tour. It was, I think we said Calgary was what we dug up. Tasker, got to thank him for bringing this to our attention after listening to the episode, but he said that it actually happened in Birmingham in 2003. So that
2: detective crew never fails.
0: Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So he does it here. Admire my stone and stone just gets mentioned a ton in this episode. How can he not, but One of the things that is upcoming, that's kind of an attachment to the Evolution episode we just did, is gonna be a Gear Garage episode that Javier does. And we're still putting it together. It'll be out relatively soon. And one of the things is just like finding where the Evolution points are from a gear standpoint and from a sound standpoint. And this is actually a decent talking point because there's a very buzzy sound on Stone's guitar. And it's a really interesting look back because very, very early on, he was using a lot of wah in the 1998 tour. And that's something that Javier knows a lot about. And now here, you get this buzz. So there's all these different eras where Stone's trying different things and creating different sounds within what he's doing in the solo. So let's bring back Mr. Guru here before we get a real deep down and dirty discussion on the evolution of evolution let's talk to him and see what he has to say about stone yet again
1: all right my shout goes to again to stone the unsung hero, one of the best hands in the business, and also, I think, one of the best Y users that we have out there. So how many times have we heard do the Evolution live, right? There's something so unique in the way that he approaches the part where he gets his own solo or in the way that he gets right before that bridge, before that huge, like, it's Evolution baby. So, if we go back in time and we start to analyze what he was using at that point, again, super Fender bass equipment. If you ever wonder like what a Fender sound is, it's dark, it's very clear, has a lot of headroom, and also it has that very dynamic feel, very dynamic tone when you play. You lose that chime that it comes from the Marshalls, the boxes or anything that is kind of to it but Fender amps have a certain kind of beauty that is hard to match it's hard to describe which this band has been so so vocal about their love for Fender amps because also they have been using them for recording purposes and also for a live setting but let's focus on what Stone does here so Stone always has been running a Don't Love Cry Baby classic like there's no Q35s there's no like little knobs here and there, no, it's the old-school crybaby. What is the wonder about this? When you use a crybaby in certain positions when you're moving your foot up or down, especially when you're in the up position, when like the heel is all over the floor, your tone gets super like, kinda like fussy and creamy. And the way that the stone approaches this plane, you're always gonna have more attack and more like kinda like that edge sharp kind of sound when you get that heel all over down or in this case the pedal all over down it creates this very kind of like a muted but very intense tone that it cuts through the mix perfectly fine he has done this so many times for different songs and also every single time that he uses this wah pedal there's a little bit of a boost going there so he's always going to be like more present if he's going to be in front of mike and in front of jeff so we can listen to that so if you ever want to try this Grab your pedal, grab your crybaby, whatever Y you have, and just don't remove any volume, don't remove any tone knobs, none of that. Get the heel all over down and play with it. Amazing tones. And again, another sample of how Stone is so great and what he does.
0: Javier, thank you so much and really can't wait. Those Gear Garage episodes are so much fun. To work on and it's something so much different than we've done and putting it together is just kind of like all right i can play with this here this is new so i can figure out what to do with this and of course javier is really running the show so i'm just trying to make him look as good as possible which he doesn't really need me for that but still it's a really good show the two episodes out if you haven't caught it yet then become a patron which we'll talk about right now but do the evolution very very fun to end this show. Really really fun to end this set and just an excellent back half of this main set. Very good front half, but the back half is where this around daughter where this picks up and is really something pretty incredible. All right, time for the encore. So let's pause for station identification and talk about some things and for the first time in a very long time, I won't have to read a hundred names to you guys because the tour is over and there's no more instant reaction episodes. So we're still, of course, anytime the patron comes in, we're going to be like, Hey, welcome. And, and thank you for doing it. And this week happened to be, uh, if we have to have a low week. Then I guess we're more than fine with that right now. Cause I think you guys have participated well enough. So if you do want to join, there are tier sections, and let's kind of, because there is the do the evolution we could talk about in a second, but why don't we talk a little bit about, because the requests are so important for this show. And it's not just requests, it's not just requesting an episode, but it's getting your story told and getting to see a different side of what we hear on the bootleg or what we see on a video whenever we have it. It's that perspective. And, you know, a lot of people listen to this show because after a long time, they may have forgotten all of the little details that happened and the build up to it. And tons of people have come to us and said, look, you're bringing back a really, really fond memory for me. And that's why I think more so than the ones that we handpick, we just love doing the shows that people request for it. Like this, It would have been on our radar because of the birthday thing, I'm sure. But if it were Thunder Bay, I don't know if that would have been on our radar. I I love Thunder Bay and a lot of great hockey players came from there. But it's something that maybe we wouldn't have thought of first when we're thinking about 2005. Again, this show can be dictated by you guys. And we have tons of people out there that certainly hoping that would send us a request some point soon and that all comes from the leg and Horizon leg tier that we can talk about in just a second. But it's it's all about you guys. It's community based. If we went to every single show, then we would be able to talk about it and it would just be about us, I suppose. And that's not what we want at all. It's very much inclusive. And because Peter gets to tell his story today, if anybody ever sees him on Facebook, you can kind of attach and you're like, okay, that was the guy that went to Winnipeg. And that's sort of how you make friends around here. So we do have the three tiers. You can request an episode if you join up on the GigaLeg tier or the Horizon Leg tier. So GigaLeg is the $5 a month. Or if you want to do a yearly subscription, that is I think $51 for the year, which is saving you 10 bucks, I believe. That's not a bad deal at all. That's a 15% discount. And then the same thing on the horizon leg. It's $10 a month, or if you want to pay for the full year, I believe that's $102, which you'll get everything. All tiers, you will get everything, but the requests are so important. And then on the Horizon League tier, you also get to have a profile episode where we'll talk to you about your whole fandom and how it came to be and some of your personal moments as well that maybe we didn't get to in your episode. So... Yeah, it's a really fun community and so many people that are just so excited to be a part of it and I want to share their stories. But also you can join up on the bonus leg tier, not to leave that out. That is definitely our most popular tier. It's the dollar a month and we will be bringing back, if it's not back already, the free trial which will last seven days. So if you just want to test it out, maybe listen to an evolution episode or two, maybe undo the evolution, maybe on something else, then you can join up. It's free for seven days. So you can do all that at patreon.com slash 4 legs or go to the Patreon app and search for Live on 4 legs or liveon4legs.com and click the Become a Patron button. Let's talk a little bit about that Do the Evolution since we're in sort of the shadow of it. It came out last week. What was your favorite part? What was your big takeaway from that episode?
2: It was almost like a two or three part episode. It really Just was. Like- The build-up at the beginning, like the Jack versions leading up into Matt, like those early versions, like finding out about that little guitar thing that they just did in 1997 and then dropped, and then leading up to that big moment at MSG, and then it kind of peaks there, and then getting into when South America comes in, it like changes everything, just all these twists and turns throughout the whole history that like we knew of, but you don't really get a feel for how it all fits together until you do it all at once. That was a super fun one to do.
0: Yeah, I think my favorite part is absolutely not just focusing on South America, but it is the way that we were able to really dig down and find out how it all began. And I love the fact that Argentina was really the first place to do it in Buenos Aires. And then you get through the years. There's been five years where they've done South America and tie mexico into that. And you can see as time goes on that... Argentina starts to get even stronger. And then you can see like in 2011 places like Rio and places like Santiago, Chile, they're starting to get it too. They're listening to the bootlegs. They're like, okay, yeah, we want to be a part of this. This is something special. So I love doing all the evolution episodes. This one was really challenging. You have to go back. I'm not going to listen to 549 versions of it, but you got to get enough to, be able to put the pieces together and this was a real interesting one to find out where that story all connected you can listen to that over on patreon and another thing i think we can't not mention this this week because it's coming out probably tomorrow if it's not out already but you may remember a story that happened in fort worth on night two this past month and it was just something that really tug on all of our heartstrings. And Ed read this poem from the Poet Laureate from Dallas. And just a beautiful thing. If you haven't listened to it, just go out there and find it. It's on YouTube. And he's talking about how his grandfather had to raise him. And then when he was a teenager... His grandfather passed away and he became homeless and it's all coming into that really tumultuous time in his life that he needed some inspiration in order to survive and he considers Pearl Jam to be a part of what kept him alive and it's just uh, a really just inspiring story and getting to see him go on stage and dance and sing and all that at the end of the night with the smile on his face like i'm sure he's waking up every morning and still in the glow of this i'm sure so with all that being said we will have the man on our podcast tomorrow we interviewed him earlier this week and it was fantastic and we can't wait to show it to you guys because it's another one of those things where just reacting to stuff that's going on and thankfully we were able to get in touch and connect. You know, it's like what we did with Josh Arroyo last year and the Bergs last year. We're telling stories about the stories that were told. So we'll get to know a little bit more about his Pearl Jam fandom and a little bit more of what happened that day. And we are really, really excited to have Joaquin Zuatanejo on our show And I did not botch that pronunciation at all. I don't think so. (laughs) Joaquin will be on. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, look out for it. It'll be out tomorrow. All right. That's all I got to say. So back to that rock. Ed and Yoncore are saying, we'd have to be crazy to leave at this point. There was a moment. I don't know how many times we've played that song black, but when we were playing it, I had my eyes closed. And when I opened them up, I saw you guys, and it was just beautiful. I was moved. That, ah, I just, I I, I got nothing. That's just Ed feeling that moment and really, again, giving yeah, another mean, nod to the crowd.
2: We thought it was a really good version of Black. We didn't know it was this good. Evidently, he had just a, a bigger moment during it, as, as we usually do
0: that's how you know like even if you're like man that black and then he says that you're like okay i changed my mind now which i don't think we were very mad on that at all it was very fantastic so let's dig into some of these songs it's in hiding it's in my tree and i am very impressed i like the positioning for in hiding because you kind of end off fired up set and come back in with more of a deeper cut. And it hadn't played to this point since the Mansfield show. So they're really kind of going back and working on something and it feels like you're getting something pretty special from this time period. For sure. They, kind of play it once a tour now but it still feels like you're getting something from deep within that catalog and just one of those moments very similar to Chicago kind of that we talked about from a couple weeks ago where the surprises just keep growing upon themselves and unpredictability like the better man opener and and then what's going to come later with a couple of these songs that are definitely kind of sideswipe you a little bit that you don't really think oh well that belongs there and that shouldn't be there but it's kind of thrown all the predictability out the window in this it's just very very impressive
2: i love in hiding coming out of an encore break like it has that kind of slow build and then when it breaks its soars just like some of the best stuff on yield does and yeah love that and yield back to back to ending the main set with do the evolution and coming back with in hiding is very cool
0: i like that tie-in but I think we're both itching to get to in my tree here because where are we with this? You're back to that extended version. so impressed by so many things that happen in these versions, and the thing I go back to the most whenever they do this is fucking boom, Gaspar. Yeah. Out yeah. Everything that happens, the way that he's just, he gets that moment, and he's able to go off in a way that he doesn't usually do. It's It's more like taking in kind of making it chaotic for boom a little bit you know what i mean it's kind of dark it's kind of taking it to a territory where it's a little bit on the edge of spinning out of control but it definitely steers back in the right direction but boom is just driving that loveboat captain ship right there and it's just crazy to think with all of the things like soaring solo and ed and jeff's parts and everything like that and the riff change and all that it's just boom this song will come in two seconds but it's boom on this
2: i love how he uses like hints of what mike does and like will make little references to like some of the things that mike has done in my tree like the little solo parts little highlights that he does but then kind of add stuff to it and go off in different ways it just adds so much like these versions are so different but almost like just as good in their own way the crowd clapping along is very cool but matt cameron at the end of this holy shit (laughs) i've never heard cameron as good at the end of In My Tree before.
0: I don't know how many times they've done this. Probably a little under or over 10. I would say that's the over under there. But in this small time frame of the t- two or three years, which was created just for In My Tree to have this extension, it should never be taken for granted that we had this because now, you know, we were lucky to get In My Tree at two shows this year, let alone at all. And it's still a very valued and awesome moment, but I think this really needs to be cherished as something that is on par with some of the great stuff that they've done. All right, I think this moment can't be discussed enough. Crazy Mary. You want two boom moments back to back? Well, asking you shall receive. This was in its height in 2005, for my money. We did the Evolution on this year or two ago. And from 2005 through 2006, these are the elite Crazy Marys where everybody is just all out trying different things and going on this electric tangent here. And the crowd is on top of it and they're calling for all those call and response moments. And Ed is playing it up. Sounds fantastic when he plays it up. But you know right away that Boom is just going to have such a strong presence on this. When from the beginning he is vibrant, he's like almost jumps the gun like, I'm ready for this. I know exactly what I'm going to do and I'm going to blow everybody away. Sometimes he starts up like, okay, we're going to build into this. We're going to get going. But right from the start, it's alright, you're in for something for the next 2, 3 or 4 minutes right here. And it was fantastic.
2: get Stones, little acoustic intro there as well, so going back to that, I think for the third time that we've talked about this show, the crowd again coming in, takes the L O I T E R-I-N G D, which is always very cool, and then we get the duel, and again Mike was the duel, let's be honest but, not this one oh, I disagree, but then the co-op mode when they jump in together for the Dance Dance Revolution co-op mode, that's the highlight for me when they're playing on each other, because yes it's a duel, but it's a friendly duel But when they jump in together, that's a really sensitive list.
0: A plus, 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 plus version on this. To me, Boom dominated. Mike sounded really good as always, but Boom was dominant. I got to give the nod to him. Well, afterwards, I guess Ed thought that Mike won too, because I don't know, maybe it's like Mike afterwards is kind of like, this is his little lament and being like, Boom, you got this. So I'm going to do a little bit here and maybe kind of outdo what you just did and it's a little tag of Angie at the back end
2: Michael I'll see you're painting black, and I'll raise you, Angie.
0: Right, right. Which I don't even know if he was doing painted it black at the time. I think that came right. way later, but very, very fun moment.
2: I think he talks about the Stones, and Ed goes, "Oh, you know, you just wait a couple of weeks. You're gonna, you're gonna get your chance to see him." Then they were gonna open up for the Stones. I think uh, later that month.
0: Yep, that's right. All right, well, you're ending the encore one with alive going into blood, and that's more that surprise factor that I was just talking about because blood is not known for closing a set in this era, and alive, you would think, once you're alive, it's like, all right, this is the last one, then let's see what they got in Encore 2, but it goes directly in the blood, and you're, okay, Wow, well, that's something different, and now alive happening, and you're reacting to that, but then I think it just picks up, When they drop into blood, you get that sense of like, they're never going to be done with this show. This is ongoing and ongoing for as long as possible. Alive is the obvious sign. It is, let the crowd take over. You guys had so many moments here, but why not have another? And and you're singing the entire chorus back at the band. We get tons of hay chants and just tremendous, of course. But even it caught me off guard kind of knowing what the set was that you think well alive and then they'll come back out and do a couple more to be over but blood and blood's going to turn some heads in this too
2: yeah i wanted to mention one thing in alive i think when the crowd is doing the haze stone picks up on that and starts doing something very different than what he normally does on a live like just holding like one chord high up just repeating like not like a punk rock thing in that sort of way but like kind of eighth notes and like very kind of high-end and probably like never heard him do that before but it's very interesting it's almost like he picked up on what they were doing and was like oh i'm gonna try to match this rhythm and play something along too it. it was very cool
0: So Blood, what I love about this is this is kind of in an era where Blood is sort of basically turning into a 40-year-old instead of what it was as a... Midlife crisis. Midlife crisis. And in most versions, Ed's probably not going to be as vigorous and not going to be as powerful, but it's still going to be Blood, so it's still entertaining. And I think this one was like, okay, drink from the fountain of youth a little bit and really turn up for it you got like Atomic Dog happening that's a throwback to 1993 of course but then I think what really stuck out to me was at the end where it's just kind of delving into just chaos as it always used to do Mike is kind of on the brink of chaos himself and it sounds like what he kind of ends up doing is almost a little like digital sounding if that makes sense like not AOL modem, but it's a sound effect that maybe would be used to describe like, you know, surfing the information superhighway or something like that, and I wanted to find out what exactly that was. So, John, I'm sorry I didn't get to ask you, but I had a better option, and the better option is... Javier.
1: The song Blood, I know that Rami, John, and I were talking about this, like, what is that sound at the end? Is it, like, software? Like, it's digital? Like, because it sounds like that, right? It's it's weird. But anyway, so, when you're playing guitar, right, like, the vibration of the string gets picked up by the magnet that is on the pickup. That's what a guitar pickup is. It's just a magnet with a lot of wire that is going to be able to capture certain frequencies, which is super, super cool. But in this case when you are playing guitar and you're playing way down on the neck or in that tree nut beyond where the first space of that guitar starts you get this very high pitch kind of like weird sound many of the guitar players use this element like i don't know sometimes like i've I've seen guitar players using it with like a slide or they kind of get more percussive as they play but Anyways, so Mike with the left hand is all over down on the neck, like close to the pickup that is close to the neck, right? Like the neck pickup. So he's just strumming the guitar strings, but he's adding that line six DL4 delay that we know, and the green one that has been on his board forever. And that's what's creating that kind of like digital sound, because it sounds kind of like software-ish it's a pretty cool detail because we always know mike by his solos and like in the use of why and how dynamic he is or how feel based he's driven on his solos and his playing but it's a pretty cool element because we don't hear that very often and it's super nice to see him do stuff that is kind of like outside of the box or what is not expected in a Pearl Jam song on a live setting. But yeah, if you ever wonder what is that kind of sound, that's what it is. It's just basically hitting your guitar strings way down in the neck or in that tree when the tuner ars.
0: All right, great stuff. And we will see you back next week for... I'll allow it this time, Javier. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll go to you. Maybe You <laughs> kind of mentioned in the evolution that we need a drum guy, so maybe mm-hmm. I'll go to you for the, sure. as the drum guy. Sure. So that ends Encore 1. Encore 2 doesn't even have a track for it. It is just go on stage and start playing indifference. So I got In Hiding, In My Tree, indifference. Inconceivable! You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. They were in it tonight. Another surprise factor one after the other. You think... Indifference. Maybe they're getting cut off from time here. Maybe it's a one-song encore two, and they're going to close. But that's not the case at all. This is just getting the next section started. And, of course, the crowd can scream their lugs out until they fill this room and clap and do everything they can to be part of it. And as this is going to be our next Evolution episode, it's interesting to just see how... They take a song that is basically a last grip on reality and life and turn it into this amazing celebration. I don't know if any band has something like that in their catalog that they can say the song is the opposite of how the crowd reacts to it. It's really unique. How about the symmetry here? Starting off both encores with an end song,
2: starting off both encores with a song that hadn't been done since Mansfield. Interesting. Yeah. No,
0: that wasn't a pun. It's just interesting.
2: Yeah. But yeah, this version is, again, we talked about Boom so much just a few minutes ago on In My Tree and Crazy Mary, but this might be my favorite Boom performance of the night. Like, I love what he's doing here, like, going back to what Brendan O'Brien did on the studio version, like, really adding a lot of texture and a lot of atmosphere to Indifference here. I love the tone that he gets on the organ there. You can tell because like there's almost no guitar on other one that's very, very sparse to come out and start an encore.
0: Ed is going to pay a little fan service right here. He says, There's a young woman that's been requesting a song every night on this whole Canadian tour, I believe. She has it written on her shirt, and it doesn't look like she's washed it. Starting to worry that we should play the song, or else she'll be starting to make the audience around her very uncomfortable. After that, she gets on to the stage, and, you know, greetings and all that, like a life-changing yeah. moment, of course. And we have pictures. If you didn't get to see on our social media, I, I posted some of the pictures that Peter shared with us. And you can see, like, her face is like, I don't know how to react to this. I can't believe this This is happening. So very cool. And her name is Kim. And Ed's like, can you sing? You want to help us out? And she's kind of like, "Um, no, I can't oh, it, sing. It, can it, you play bass?
2: He, he, yeah, he tricks her like, oh, you're going you're gonna to play bass on this, right?
0: Maybe. Uh, So no bass, no singing, but hey, you want a bottle of wine? Sure, I'll do that. So she takes a chug of that, and then she gets to sit right in the catbird seat to watch it all go down around where the drum riser is. So... I mean, it's fun. It's a fun moment. Obviously, we need video of this to really get that smile experience, but you can tell. You can tell that she's elated, the band's elated, and her and Ed start dancing during this, and I think that's kind of a common thing when you think of Ed dancing on stage with somebody you of course think about the Melbourne 2003 version of do the evolution where the guy the drunk guy got on said no you think about the other kim actually that was in St. Louis that did the interpretation sign language so it's just a very sweet moment that kind of rears its head a little bit here and now and again and it's just a great fan service and you always like to see when one of yours like almost like when maybe you graduate high school and you see that like one of your peers gets to succeed that you were friends with or something like that and really you know find success in something in life you're like all right that that was one of us that was was one of our local people and it's kind of the same thing like she got to live out her dream so we're vicariously living through her on this yeah it's a very small exclusive
2: club that kim became a part of on this night but smile is is really interesting to me because it's another one that almost works best when it's very loose and relaxed and like you can really get into the groove of it but i'm listening to this version and like it's a little more than halfway through almost before the very end and it all clicks for like 10 seconds it all came together on this version and it sounded amazing like jeff and stone locked in together and like it felt like they were really gonna hit something like transcendent on "Spa." I'm like, oh my god, Like they got it, Like they put it all together. And then after that 10 seconds show, it falls apart and it like, gets loose again and they go right back to it. But it really hit me for like a few short seconds. It all came together on "Spa," and it was glorious and then just like that it's gone and that's the beauty of it like he wouldn't want it any other way with Pearl Jam but that really struck me as like oh like maybe they had found lightning in a bottle for just a minute on it and Kim was lucky enough to be there on stage
0: and she got rewarded with a harmonica afterwards so yeah. she goes home with a lot of wonderful gifts and hopefully for her she gets to go to the next couple shows out in the prairies and gets to enjoy herself even more Kim, if you're out there, if you are a listener, then we'd love to say hello to you, and we'd love to get more of your story. Same goes for you, Melbourne guy. I think we'll be looking for you for the next decade or so, and I am not giving up on that.
1: <laughs>
0: All right, it says, there's a guy that I know you know of. We not only know him, but we know him real well, and he's been a big influence on this band and a big part of our growing up. Rumor has it that he's from here, but rumors that he was actually there were unfounded we known him long enough that he lets us call him Uncle Neil. We're in his area up here. He's a land baron down in California now. But Neil's led a life that's really something to aspire to. Incredible human being, incredible musician, what he gives to the world around him and his family and friends. He spends a lot of time in North Cal. It, like, he can't finish that sentence because it's just taken aback by it. That's kind of what I suspect on that. He spends a lot of time in Northern California, and that's where we actually recorded this next song. So I guess we had him in mind, but we'll play it because we're thinking about him tonight. I'm going to package all these together, since it's Neil all the way home. Small town, fucking up, rocking in the free world. And, of course, the rumors about Neil showing up are, again... Unfounded. Seems
2: like that was, that was every show back then. Every, yeah. as soon as anything. Oh, Neil Young's here. Oh, Neil Young's here. He's going to show up. It was either that or Chris Cornell at the time. Like either one of them was rumored to be at every single Pro Jam show at the time. I think,
0: you know, I think that Anthony was talking to me yesterday and I think he said something along the lines of when at Fort Worth night one, when Joshua placed, he heard some people down the row from him going, Dave Grohl's here. like, Oh, no, just, no. These people have no insight into anything. They just say shit just to say shit. Yeah, it's so it's frustrating.
2: The, the TMZification of the gossipy part of it, which right. hardly ever works. But for a small town, we did look it up. Neil is not from Winnipeg, but he did live there, I think, for a year when he was a kid, and then went to high school there for a couple of years. So he does have a little bit of a tie to Winnipeg, which is cool. But Small Town is, like, it's super anthemic. We're bringing it home here, and Encore 2, Ed, points out, like, oh, this is your last chance to sing. So, like, you know you're not getting led better after that. This is going to be the last chance to get the big sing-along in.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Small Town really kind of brought all that together, and the crowd definitely ate that up. But, of course, we're going to have our final George Bush reference of the night, and it's the intro to Fucking Up, as one written by Uncle Neil, and is also George Bush's Favorite song. It's kind of crazy because you think of these two fucking up and rocking in free world. You're like, whoa, they probably never do two Neil songs back to back like this in one night. And that's not necessarily true. They have done it, but it's not that common. On a set list together, it's been eight times, and five times were back to back in this order. That kind of started in '98 and kind of went through a couple of years there. But the other three times. We're all in 1993, probably when they were touring with him and he was coming on stage and playing rockin' every night. And that's really the time where fucking up started to slowly get into sets for a short period and until like 1998, where it really reared its head. Look, Mike and Stone always have their solo sections for rocking, but both of them get spotlights on fucking up as well. And I think that's a big highlight for both of these at the end here. They're kind of going back and forth and showing their talents and abilities, and Ed's in Ed mode on stage and party mode, and Ed's just very, very thankful for everything going on. Ender and rock, and he says, Winnipeg, I'm going to say this, and I mean it. You guys are absolutely fucking amazing. Absolutely fucking amazing. Thanks for filling up every seat to the very back, and it's a really good end and a fitting end. First show that had so much to give. Yeah, that Ed thing at the end
2: really struck me as being very, very earnest and very passionate. And we know he's that kind of guy, and he's not going to go up there and bullshit a crowd. But this one really felt earned by this crowd. It really felt like he really felt in the whole way and a lot of energy. It felt deserved, and it didn't feel cheapened at all. Like it didn't feel like meandering. It really felt like he went out of his way to make a note to think that he had repeating it again. Like, you can tell
0: he's speaking from the heart there. It's very, very cool. Very special. All right. Well, that's the set for you guys. So now let's pick our three favorite moments. Um, well, first, I will say my number three is going to be Daughter. That's really, to me, where the show kicks in and is like, okay, this is the next level of this. That whole crowd response on the cell phone thing was very, very good. So that's going to be my number three. My number two... I'm going to give it to Black on this. This is just a classic all-time version of Black. Can't go wrong. And then my number one is going to be Crazy Mary. That boom, annihilated on. He dominated. John, this has to be the... Can't pick black or in my tree challenge for you because I feel like that is inevitable. What we're going to get right here this is like your ninth week in a row p- picking black. We'll is see. It happen again. We'll see. We'll see. Let me take a look. Actually,
2: my number three is going to be untitled. My number two is. <laughs> you thinking about it? No, I'm going to go. I'm going to go a little different. I'm going to go Immortality. Okay. And, yeah, In My Trees, number one.
0: Okay. So you split the difference. I know it's hard to do, but... But, yeah,
2: Honorable Mention to Black, Daughter, Not For You, Corduroy, Hail, Hail. Yeah, hard not to pick those,
0: but only get three. All right, let's rate this bad boy. So in the time of listening to this on the birthday celebration, I don't think I ever really got the sense that... You know, you listen to a lot of shows with a lot of good crowds, and it's not like they all kind of blend together, but, you know, crowds for Pearl Jam are going to be hot for the most part. Everybody's there to see the same band, and we're kind of all crazy about it. So you get that. Like, it it makes a whole lot of sense. So I, I guess in the lead to listening to this on a research and taking notes part of it, I didn't exactly think that it was gonna wow me as much as it did and like the crowd is the big story from this of course but i think it's like how the band also reacted to the crowd and played up to their strengths and everything that made this show really special and it kind of tosses me up here of what i want to give this rating and although if it had video i don't think it would be a 10 show Because I think there is little things here and there. But I think without seeing the video, I think it just misses the 9.5 for me. I think this is a really good 9 show. It's a very, (laughs) this is to you, Simon, this is a very near 9.5. I know I'm not allowed to do that anymore, but I'm not making that my rating. I'm giving it a 9, but it's very, very near 9.5 for me we're on a pretty good streak right now of you and I being
2: kind of simpatico on these ratings. And I think this is the fifth week in a row that we've come to the same realization because I came into this after listening to it and going in and thinking like, that's a solid nine right there. I think I'm with you again, five weeks in a row. We were locked in.
0: Wow. We haven't given nines in five weeks in a row. We just had the same rating. We've had
2: the same rating. Yeah. <laughs> we've we matched each grither.
0: other. Yeah. And from that we, we've gotten at least one into the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, going back to that those tens for Birmingham. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, we got a lot of year to go so far, so we'll let's see what's in the repertoire and let's see if we match on next week, which is something I think is gonna be a little more familiar to you guys because we are doing Ohana Encore from back in it is all old two thousand and twenty one. Only four festival shows, and really the beginning of that kind of dipping your toe into Gigaton and all that, and just being back from COVID was special enough. But we're gonna do actually night two of Ohana Encore. So sorry, we're not getting the sweet Lou on this one. I think a lot of people are probably okay with that, but it'll be fun. And we're gonna talk to Dakota, who requested this episode and is also a really good friend. And I'll have a profile on the Patreon page. So we're excited to do all those things. And yeah, that will be next week a more recent thing from the Gigaton era that we haven't done in a couple months. So should be a lot of fun.
2: Kind of a prelude to the end of the year where we're gonna dig
0: into something from this year. Sure. All right. Well, that is the show. But if you want to help out the podcast, then all you gotta do is subscribe over your favorite podcast platform could either be Spotify or Apple. And those are the two ones that are going to be the main ones, but any other one that you listen to, just make sure you're subscribed because if you're subscribed, then that visibility just keeps going up. And also on top of that, if you want to leave a rating, you can leave a five-star rating for us on either Apple or Spotify. And that's if we deserve it. And I say every week, We do the work, we go through the whole thing, we tell the stories, we live the memories so we think we deserve the five stars and if you do too then we just appreciate that you're on the same page as us. So over on Apple not only can you rate the five stars but you can also leave a comment and let everybody know that's maybe new to the Pearl Jam podcast community that is looking for something let them know what it's all about let them know what they can see and what they can get out of this because We're at episode. This is episode two fifty three here. We got a lot working with, so there is a lot to look forward to in the future as well. So hopefully people see that and they're enticed to go and find one of their shows that they went to and take that as a special thing. So word of mouth. That's how it always works out. All right. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, miss you already. Miss you always. Well, we went with two encores today, but. Strangely enough, Ohana Encore only had one, but technically had two. If the show title was Ohana Encore and they did an encore, then there are two encores. Ohana's happening as we speak right now, so I don't know what's going on. Ed's probably doing a set tonight. Who knows? But maybe we'll talk about it next week. We'll find out. Until then, we'll see you soon.
2: Los Angeles. Goodbye.